Welcome back to our fifth and final panel at our fourth Diverse Ed virtual event. Um, I'm absolutely delighted um, to be joined by four of our youth speakers working in collaboration with our partner, Phoenix Education. So let me introduce who we're going to be hearing from on this panel. Firstly, we have Fatma Shami. Fatma is an education-focused activist, a public speaker and a social action enthusiast. She challenges the thoughts and opinions of those in positions of power to amplify the change that is possible. We have Nikita Biko Amarco. Nikita is a young leader, a student advocate and an aspiring entrepreneur, striving for change and making space for voices that are often unheard. We have Reese Marley Robinson. Reese is a black British student and athlete campaigning on issues of social justice inside and outside of the school system, including at the school that I went to, my sister went to, and my dad went to. So it's very special to have you here, Reese, representing our school. And our final speaker on this panel is Yumna Hussain. Yumna is the Deputy Member of Youth Parliament for Birmingham, the Chair of the Birmingham Aspiring Youth Council, and Bike Back 2030 Youth Leader. More broadly, she is a multidisciplinary artist campaigner across multiple systems, public speaking, and she's recently done a TEDx talk. She's a published author and a writer. The imposter syndrome is kicking in, ladies, um, focusing on personal growth, unity and service as a way to achieve transformation, tra transformative education. It's an absolute delight to have you all here. Benny and I are going to disappear so you can chair your own panel and we'll then come back for the Q&A at the end of the panel. Hello. Um, so welcome everyone. Thanks for attending the second youth panel event held by Diverse Ed. Um, so me and Yumna will be co-hosting this panel along with amazing other student activists and campaigners like Nikita and Reese. Um, so I'll hand over to Yumna now. Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining. Um, all of us are in, as individuals very passionate about social action and are already shaping incredible campaigns locally and nationally um, about education, whether that's changing policies um, that affect young people um, and conducting research um, for young people by young people. We're all part of CML, which is Changemakers Lab. Um, it's a project run by Phoenix Education Trust, working with young people who want to change the current education system to better reflect the needs and rights of us. So today's theme is on visibility and specifically focused on early career teachers. And we're going to open with the theme of visibility on schools and early teacher careers. Um, so what are the possible meanings? What are the possible issues? Um, what are different people or organisations doing? So Yumna's just dropped off, and so I'm just going to cover what she was meant to say. Um, so we're going to go. So we're going to be answering a couple of questions, in which each panelist will have two to three minutes to give us their thoughts, personal experiences, if they feel comfortable um, in sharing, and hopefully inspiring us all to mobilise and act through targeted solutions. Please post your questions in the chat because if we have time in the end, we'll be answering a few. And please follow our social media if possible. Um, thank you. And I'll kick off the first question now. Um, so when have you felt visible in the education system and when have you felt invisible? So I'll start off um, and then I will hand over to Nikita. Um, I guess for me, I felt visible in the education system. Well, to be honest, I've never really seen myself visible in the education system. Um, and for me, it was because kind of that lack of diversity between the teachers and the schools that I went to. Um, so I went to a very prominent white dominant school and I was the only one who wore a scarf. And so because I was the only one who wore a scarf, for me, that was really strict on policy that like I couldn't have the free reign like everybody else did. So I guess that's when I kind of felt invisible because I felt like I feel like essentially I felt like an alien in that school, I'll be honest. Um, because I didn't really see much people looking like me and it was just different um, and I guess whenever I felt visible it just I don't really think I have ever felt visible Um, so I'm going to hand over to Nikita now. 
Um, I would say a time where I probably felt visible would be um, when I did my Jack my Jack Petty speech, where um, I have eczema, so I decided to um, base my speech on like skin conditions and the struggles that um, people go through with those. And um, I just did some research on um, how people with skin conditions are perceived in other countries and how in some places they can be ostracized or some places they're bullied so much that they're forced to leave school. And I thought that was like a really important thing to like let people know. Um, a time I felt invisible would probably be um, when like I might want to express my views, but I would have to hold back because I don't want to be um, deemed as aggressive purely because of my skin colour. Or if I did, I would be responded with comments such as like, I don't see um, colour. And I feel like if you don't see colour, you don't see me. And that ultimately, me, ultimately makes me feel like, yes, I am invisible. I'm going to hand over to Reese. Yeah, um, so I've felt visible. Let's start with the positives here. Um, I felt visible when my school have made an effort. I, I think I'll just give you a bit of like background to where my school is and um, the like the percentages of um, ethnic minorities. So we don't have we don't even have percentages of our school. We don't have a population census. I'm in a predominantly white area. I live in the southwest of England um, and we are the only black family. My family's the only black family. Um, so when my school decided to do Caribbean food, that's when I felt visible. And they came and they emailed my family and said, how can we get this right? Tell us the recipe. Where can we buy the food? So we had food being shipped from London, where I am now, being shipped from London to the southwest of England and we had curry goat and rice and that's when I felt most visible because that was akin to my culture. I think where I felt most invisible is probably in the curriculum and also in the staffing of my school. Um, there is no one that looks like me and I think I'll touch upon that in later questions but that can be quite damaging for people um, to not see themselves represented in um, staffing and also in the curriculum it's always been my family or I having to go and do research for myself um, as opposed to learning about it in a holistic way at school and I think school should be a place where people can learn whatever they want whenever they want so yeah um, Yumna's back so Yumna do you want to answer the question the question was um, where have you felt visible and where have you felt invisible yeah so uh, thanks Therese so I attend school in Birmingham. So obviously it's a very multicultural city, multicultural area. I live in inner city Birmingham. So I have, I actually have the privilege of, you know, attending school where you've got teachers who look like me and you feel um, visible, you know, they're from the local area and the community. So it's very relatable. But I do believe that the schooling in the wider education system, it doesn't accommodate for um, students and staffs shifting and complex identities. Um, but I also believe that it's important that we appreciate and that we understand the nuances in our lived experiences and in our stories because oftentimes we view say a race as homo um, homogeneous so there's no there's no sort of nuance in the story um, and in fact in schooling we can choose to enrich people's cultural identities like um, we touched upon you know her school didn't accommodate for Caribbean students like her um, but you know schools they can they if they if they're given the choice, they can accommodate for, you know, people's cultural individuality and in their interpersonal experiences. And as like teachers in their early stage in their career, it's important for them to collaborate with students to develop that critical consciousness, critical thinking ability um, to prepare leaders who have a deeper awareness of social structures and social practices and policies that result in you know the oppression and the exclusion and the marginalization of certain social groups um, and currently even the curriculum it doesn't facilitate for these sorts of conversations so it's important for us to have a multidisciplinary approach to learning so that we are equipped to tackle issues um, in a multi-layered and structural way so it's you know it's more inclusive and more comfortable for everyone involved
that also leads us very nicely into the second question, which is about the curriculum. So how do you see yourself in the curriculum? How much do you see yourself in the teaching staff, which I already touched upon? And do you think as young people, do you have a voice within the schooling system? Do you have a voice within, whether that's with your teachers, whether that's with higher level staff? Um, and in my experience, obviously, I don't think that the curriculum is accurately representative of the students that you know they, they teach. Um, and you know, there was a study conducted by the University College London UCL which said that 46% of all schools um, have no teaching staff for minority communities. And that is an upsetting statistic when you think about it, because all four of us today, we are all girls who are from um, minority ethnic communities, you know? And we need to be asking three things. Why is there, why is the recruitment of teachers, first of all, not being targeted to specific communities? What severe impacts and negative impacts can this have on students later down the line? And what practical steps can we actually take um, to mitigate this? Because at the end of the day, visible diversity um, is not part of the solution. It's part of the solution, but it doesn't actually directly address the root cause of the issue, which is inherently systemic, as we all know. Um, and whilst the levels of educational attainment and degrees um, have improved significantly for people who are from ethnic minority communities, the successes haven't directly, say, translated into market op market outcomes for um, teachers in the teacher profession. Um, and when I was thinking about the statistic, and I was thinking about the underlying reason behind the statistic, it may be that early stage career teachers um, realize that the school it's, the school that they are applying to, for example, it doesn't actually um, align with their own beliefs and their own um, values, and it's not as inclusive as they would have liked. Um, and without an understanding of how social inequities work together to create unjust structures, um, I believe that education will and education has and will continue to be um, the production and reproduction of um, social injustices. I'm going to hand over to Reese to answer that question as well. Um, yeah, I would say for me, with the idea of like representation in staffing in curriculum, for me, it doesn't it doesn't happen. And for a lot of people, it doesn't happen. And that's a really big problem. And it's very easy to say, oh, well, you go to a predominantly white school, so it doesn't matter about your representation. But then again, that goes back to the point of being invisible. And I think that with, with schools, they have to be havens for everyone. You can't have schools where people aren't allowed. Therefore, if you're gonna allow people to come into your school, you have to accommodate them in the correct way. And that could be and should be at the very basic level, representation in staffing and representation in the curriculum. You can't afford to have um, children in your school who first, you probably don't know their own um, ancestry. And secondly, the people around them don't know their ancestry, so can't treat them in a way that is correct. And that that's a problem. And I see it as levels. I think this is the base level. It's the bare minimum that a school can do is to allow a child to be visible in their representation and that is the slight problem is that people think that that is really above their station they think it's very hard to represent children in in staffing and sometimes that can be I think it's it's difficult when when a school decides that that is the hardest thing that they can do then everything else becomes a chore and it's not a chore because diversity enriches a school and that is what people need to see. Um, I would say I don't really see myself in the curriculum. And um, if we do cover Black History Month, it's really like one or two lessons. And living in London, we're not, if we are learning about Black history, it's normally about American history and not about Black British history. And it also seems like us as the students uh, are made to feel like it's our duty to educate our peers, where like I don't mind educating my peers, but I also don't like to be felt like it's my duty, especially like living in London, it's a diverse society. And I feel like it's really important to decolonize the um, curriculum so that students can learn about many different backgrounds. And I'd also say with the staffing, the staffing is not very diverse, as we said, and like, um, some students may feel like they don't have that place to um, 
relate to teachers and also if they don't see themselves within the staff it's kind of hard for them to be like to see themselves like oh when I grow up I might want to be a teacher because I don't see it and I don't have something to look up to if you yeah so that's what I would say and I'm going to pass on to Fatima um, just to actually touch on that point, uh, I, when I was younger, I really wanted to be a teacher. Um, and one of the reasons why I actually dislike teaching right now is because of the lack of representation. So I'll touch upon that point. Um, and so for me, like, how do you see yourself in the curriculum? I think it's like a one fits all approach, to be honest, because they've gone for what's, uh, what's majorly works without testing the others. And that doesn't work for everybody because like, um, like we're all diverse here. But we all feel like the education system doesn't cater to our to our needs, especially when being visible, and especially in the actual teaching staff. Um, and like, so like my old school, a predominantly white school, there was no diversity. It was just the same staff, same people. And like, how are we meant to break out of a routine? How are we meant to break out of a habit? And like, like uh, reset. Like equality and diversity is very rich, and it is essential to make a school grow and flourish. And I feel like, so I'm going to touch upon the point about a voice within the school and the education system. To be honest, I feel like I personally am a minority and um, like a majority trying to represent the voice because it's just this, it's just this whole one system fits all. Um, and especially like, I feel like I don't personally know about private schools, but from what I've heard is it's kind of similar um, it's it's sort of got a bit more diversity than public state schools but it's just it's not the same and so essentially I feel like I do have a voice but that voice isn't amplified enough it just gets shut down the minute they realize that I'm a minority not a majority and and then they think oh I, we can't take this further and um, moving on to our next question which is what are the practical strategies for, for improving visibility? Like what can we do, what students can do, what can teachers do? I guess essentially for me, um, what I'd say is, because I'm now a college student, at my college we have uh, various like clubs, if you call them that, and it's all about, uh, so we have a, we have a black LGBTQ plus club uh, where if you identify any of those, you just go, you turn up, no questions asked, and the teachers are diverse, um, so they also bring out outside speakers to come and speak to us. Um, and I guess it's just having, like, a place, like, even if it's just once a week where students can come in and, like, they can feel like they're represented and they're visible in that school. Um, I guess teachers can be more inclusive because when it comes to dealing with some issues about topics um, that really matter to other people, like, they might, it not, might not matter as much to them, like, Black History Month, but like to actually be a bit sensitive when discussing these issues, I guess. Um, and I shall hand over to Nikita. Um, yeah, I would say it's really important for teachers to like provide spaces where students can speak. And I would say, um, I know that this doesn't happen everywhere in many schools, but I'd say I think my school embodies this really well because there's things you can get as a student. I can get involved in like a quality committee, school council, being a form representative. And that also gives you the quality to also be able to not only speak about how you feel, but also to be the voices for your peers. I would say I would say that that is um, a very important thing to be done. So. Um, and also things like getting students involved with the big decisions that they make, such as their racism policy. Like, what would we want to see? How would we want the school to work? And I feel like if that's done, children will feel more visible within the school and the education system. I'm going to pass on to Yumna now. Yeah, so just echoing what um, Nikita and I think Reese touched on before about the levels. Um, so, you know, some schools, they don't have diverse staff. So that would be a first thing, trying to understand why that there's a lack of recruitment in, you know, in black ethnic minority communities um, and actually consulting students on what they want, what they want to learn, um, how they want to learn it and in, in what environment they want to learn it in. Um, and each strategy actually should be specific to the school and take into context everything, you know, it's from teaching staff reading lists you know there's a lot of 
um, reading lists that aren't that don't include you know authors of from people of color, um, for example, and especially like the language. So the language that is used within schools, making sure that um, I think Fatima touched upon this and she said um, the sensitivity. So certain topics might be sensitive for you know certain people from different um, communities. Um, and I think there's three aspects actually. Um, it's personal growth, um, unity and service. And Hannah's actually said this um, in my introduction. And that's without jump, we need to stop jumping to seismic and systemic change. And we need to actually start looking at what we can do ourselves, how we can educate ourselves to then change the people closest around us, whether that's the school, whether that's teachers, whether that's colleagues, whether that's peers, whether that's friends, and then actually start building and growing outwards like that. And also, I also want to touch on that funding and resources, funding and resources um, is obviously disproportionately um, distributed. And oftentimes, government organizations um, and you know other institutions that are intended to serve society um, often propagate the structure that certain lives and certain voices um, are more worthy of others. And you you always you always see this in school, you know, um, as students. There's certain certain panels or there's certain groups that a student can be involved in. For example, let's say student council, but we don't look at the hierarchical position that it often places students in. So it says it's basically, you know, students can feel that their idea is not worthy as someone else's, um, which is damaging to their self-esteem um, as well. Um, I think I want to hand over back to Fatima or is it Reese? I'll just quickly jump in um yeah. pretty much just to second everything that's been said like really really touch upon that point that Yumna said about affecting the people around you um yeah it's about affecting your own social chasm that you're in so for me that's the people around me that's my school because it is definitely a personal growth journey you cannot enforce ideas onto people that don't want to listen and I think that sometimes can be hard for young people especially of an ethnic minority sometimes people don't want to listen and that can be very difficult. But then my question is, so then why are they in a position to have power? If they don't want to listen, who gives them that authority to then not listen to our voices? Um, and I think for me, a strategic plan would be to look at your staffing. You have to look at that. That has to be, that's paramount. You have to look and you have to see what your school, what, what your school community needs, whether that is um, it needs more teachers who identify um, as part of the LGBTQ plus community who identify as ethnic minorities, who identify as not able-bodied. You have to see what your community needs and then you have to cater for them, whether that is amplifying their voices as students or whether that's um, having student councils like Nikida or having spaces, safe spaces, cultivate safe spaces that aren't performative. And that's really important as well. This diversity, this visibility can't be performative. It has to be deep and it has to hit every mark. And that can be difficult sometimes, but it's a slow journey and there's levels to it. And it's okay to mess up. That's another thing. The vulnerability to mess up is okay. And people know if you come from a place where you're really trying to make people visible, people feel that. I'm sure the other girls and I, we feel that. When people are trying their hardest, you can feel that. And it's okay to mess up and it's okay to put your hands up and say you've messed up, but at least you have a plan and you're trying to implement it. Um, I'll hand back to Fatma. Okay. Um, and so I'm just gonna wrap up uh, just before we get into the question and answer. Um, and so I'm going to summarise um, a key point, but I'm going to let everybody each summarise one point that matters the most to them. So you've got four takeaways to take away. Um, so for me, I will definitely say, um, so I'm going to steal Reese's point, sorry Reese. Um, and it's about the diversity and um, equality in schools. That, it, that just basically completes your school. If you don't have that in your school, that's not gonna just just forget about your school. Let, let put it that way, because that is the base of your school. Having that diversity, um, in your school will then help. Like, because you get you see things from different perspectives, and it's not always a one fits all approach. Everybody then can contribute, and everybody then makes sure that they're visible and they feel represented. 
And so I will hand over to Nikita. Um, I would say one really important thing to take away from today is allow your students to have that space where they're able to voice their opinions and have a say in the school that they're in. And I'm going to pass on to Reese. I would say there's a lot to take away from this, but if I was to pick one thing, I would say make sure that you affect your social chasm in as deep and meaningful way as you possibly can. I'm just going to say that, you know, young people's ideas need to not be taken as tokenistic, but directly embedded within policymaking. And that um, goes to teachers as well. Um, and we need accountability, real commitment um, and the space in order to build um, and create that change that is possible and that is needed. I think we're heading off to a Q&A now. If that um, just, just before we go to the Q&A. Um, it's all right, don't worry about it. You wanna, have you got any campaigns that you would like people to take forward? Yes, so there's not a trend, um, which is currently building a campaign around decolonizing the education system. So educating students and teachers um, about anti-racist work. Um, and also I wanted to touch upon this very quickly. Um, that diversity um, and di diversification um, is very surface level. You know, decolonization is much, much, much deeper than that. Um, it's acknowledging how power and privilege play out um, within our schools, within our institutions, um, and restructuring that in a way um, that is inclusive. And also, I'm launching a youth-led organization called Resilience soon, um, which is basically about personal growth. Um, um, educating young people that they can create the change that is possible um, and I think I'm going to hand back up to Fatima because we're going to do our Q&A section. Um, so I'd like to bring Hannah and Bernie back for the Q&A. Thank you, um, panellists. Um, fantastic insights. The social media is going off the charts. You're going to have to read all the comments um, afterwards. Um, we've just got some questions to pose to you to tease out some of the things you've always said. Great insights. Reese. let me start with you. And thank you for in your opening, Reese, for doing the positive reframe about what is working rather than going straight in for the deficit model, which people tend to do when we, when we think about diversity, equity, inclusion. Could you speak a little bit more, Reese, about how we go about disrupting the power dynamic in a school. I know this is part of what the Young Changemakers does. How, how do we disrupt that hierarchy that the adult voice is seen as being more important than the young person's voice? From a student perspective, it's having that idea that that person is no better than you. They deserve respect based on their position, but they are no better than you. And because of their skin color, because of their sexual orientation, because of their job, they, that does not mean that they hold more power than you. That does not mean that their voice is above you. Then from a teacher perspective, like I said before, it's about having that humility. And so as a teacher, if you have that humility, you become approachable and you become a person where students can come and actually speak to you and voice their opinions. And I think that's probably the best way is to have this open, um, this dynamic between teachers where it's open, conversation is very fluid and open. Um, yeah. Thank you, um, Reese. And you, and you went to the word voice there. So Nikita, let me come back to you because I, I taught in London for 15 years. I love the Jack Petchy Award, as does Benny. Like that's such an important thing, but you, you don't get that elsewhere in the country. It's only in some of the urban school environments. And just, just share about that, about the opportunity to use your voice and share your voice in that school context and perhaps other opportunities you have or haven't had to have voice within your school as well. Um, yeah, I would say it's very important for students to have a voice and for me to have the opportunity to do that petty, I feel like at first when you're doing it, you think it's something that's like personal to you and you want people to realise so you can be seen as visible, but you also don't see how 
um, what you're doing is also affecting people and people really appreciate that you've like spoken up to spoken up for them because after my Jack Petty speech a lot of students came to me to say like thank you and talk about like the skin conditions that they they also have and like what they're struggling with and you don't realize until you like make that step so although it's nerve-wracking by you making small steps you're also helping others to feel like oh yes I can do that too so yeah, I would say um, having a voice in the school community is really important. I, I love that, Akita. And what I'm hearing is you you might not have had the role models, but you become the role models that you actually needed as well. Um, Fatma, let me come to you. So similar kind of question, thinking about opportunities within the curriculum particularly. Like all of you are social activists and have you been taught social justice? Has it, has it featured in any of your subjects at school out of interest? Nope. So where did, you, where did you learn it then? How did you find out about it? Okay, so this is going to, uh, it's a long story short. Um, what happened was, um, at my old school, because I went to two different high schools, um, and at my very first high school that I went to, um, there was this project called Reclaim, um, they're called uh, Reclaim Manchester Project, so you guys should check them out. And at the time, um, they came and they did like a tea, like an icebreaker session with us, from there, I then went on to doing a programme with them, um, which then re- made me realise, oh, look, I have a voice. Let me speak out. Let me go into social action. Let me go into social activism. Um, and I guess that's kind of what started, like, me. And I think I was only, like, 12 at the time. So I've been doing this for a while now. It's been very long. But that's what started for me. Brilliant, Fatma. Thank you. Benny, do you want to ask them all some questions? I do. Thank you. It's been so, so interesting listening to you. And I'm fascinated by your take on staffing and school structures and the fact that you speak so clearly about the need for representation. Um, and, and my question is, you know, uh, and there's a question reflected in the comments as well, that quite often, you know, you'll have uh, head teachers who say they want to make a change. You know, they'll say that they'll, they'll actively try to recruit people from different backgrounds. Um, but actually, there's a statistic that says 46 percent of schools don't have any BAME staff for want of a, a better a term. So how do we change that? What would drive people to areas where they're not representative? Is that dangerous? How do people feel about that? Um, why do you think it's happening? Um, Reese, we start with you and we'll go around. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to take a little po- portion of this question. So um, for me personally, I only moved to the area where I go to school because of my dad's job. And I wouldn't say they actively searched for him. I wouldn't say that. I think for teachers searching, actively searching, you there are a plethora of people from my ethnic minority background just waiting for an opportunity. They might not be in the place that you would often look. I know for a private school, there are websites where people look for teachers. They might not be on there because they might not know. They might not have the opportunity to be there. So it's about going and actively looking for those teachers that you want to affect your diversity. And then in terms of the general population, that is about having those difficult conversations. It's about bringing your staff in on those induction days and saying, right, we're going to sit and we are going to talk about this problem. We're going to debunk these problems together as a general staffing population, because that's where you get change. I think you can't just have like two or three teachers being the halo heads where all the kids go, oh, yeah, I love going to that teacher. They really help me with my problems regarding my race or my sexuality. That has to be a general teaching population. It's the bare minimum for me. Um, of a of a staffing body. Thank you, and and I, and I think it comes down to that th- what you said around making active um, choices around you know going out to seek people who will reflect the world that we live in. Um, and I, and I and I like the idea that you know actually it's it's a, it's a responsibility for schools to go out and do that. It's not going to happen by accident. Um, and Nikola, I was I was talking, I was listening to you right at the beginning, and you were talking about that kind of colorblind approach in schools. So there is a lot of narrative in education around, you know, kind of conformity. And, you know, if we start talking about race, then race becomes an issue. How do you respond to that as a young person? Um, I would say I don't think that specifically happens within my school in itself. But um, hearing those comments, it's kind of hard um, because it's like 
you're not really like acknowledging what I'm saying because when I'm saying it to you you're saying um you don't see color you're ultimately telling me you don't see that as an issue um how do you respond to that I just think we have to like try our hardest to like explain to them although as I said it's not my duty to I also feel like um maybe that's what needs to be done but people also need to take responsibility to do their own research and yes some people may not know like the things that they may say is offensive so yes we can tell them that but um also you need to like try and educate yourself and I think and also they could do that by like Black History Month, for instance, include these things. What things can we say? What things shouldn't we? Be? What things shouldn't we say? And I also feel like it shouldn't be an awkward conversation, because race and racism is a conversation that needs to be done. It's something that we need to deal with, and potentially something that we can work towards an end. So yeah, absolutely, um, totally understand your point and just, I think some teachers are afraid of having that conversation um, and, and and I think that's where quite often people don't talk about it. Um, Hannah back over to you. I'm glad we've got Yumna back and her, her, her audio visual's not working but we have got her audio so my question for you Yumna you talked about this multidisciplinary approach we need to um, disrupt kind of systemic practices and policies can you explain a little bit more what you mean about that to our listeners please Yumna? Yes, of course. So that means sort of creating those inclusive environments for young people um, that, you know, includes them in everything. So whether that's learning, um, whether that's, you know, teaching um, them about their culture, um, teaching them about their own heritage, um, whether that's um, because I know that in schools there's a lot of subject specific approaches, but there isn't um multidisciplinary approaches so cross teaching across different subjects and i think that early stage career early stage um teachers they have the opportunity to collaborate with different subject departments to really bring forth um inclusivity um equality and diversity within their practice um and also in my own like personal opinion um i think project based learning um is the future i think project based learning is the way to go because the world now has become so globalized and so interconnected that distant subjects with, you know, every, I think that in some schools they do um, collaborate, collaborate with different subjects, um, departments, for example, foreign languages, collaborate with um, English department on a certain project. But I think that it needs to be a long-term thing. It's not, <clears throat> I don't think it's, it's possible to do, to, to, to only do this at least on, to only do this once a year it doesn't work and to show students um to basically in, enrich their own experiences and their own learning um I think multidisciplinary learning um is the way to go thank you um so much Una, for clarifying that kind of expression you use and that might tell me if I was wrong did I wrote down critical consciousness I think that was a phrase that you used um quite a few of the was it not I can't think I can't think who said it but one of the questions that's come through is about what should schools be doing around the teaching of social consciousness and the teaching of ethics and I'd like to ask that question to all of you and you might perhaps want to share what you've been doing with Phoenix Education and Changemakers Lab to almost fill the gap of what the school system isn't giving you. So Fatma, do you want to kick off first and answering that question about this idea of social consciousness and ethics and what the school is or isn't doing and what um, change makers are doing with you? Um, so I guess I'll start off with change makers. Um, so with change makers, what they've done is they've given us all a voice. So they just, they took us on board. They were like, oh, we'll take you on board. We'll see where do you want to go with this? And so we've had several sessions um, and we've just sat and we've all discussed what does everything mean to us? Like, what, do, why do we feel strongly about this? Is this being allowed in schools? Is it not being allowed in schools? Um, and we get different perspectives, like Reese is private school, and then most of us are all funded schools. Um, so we all see this different perspective that interlinked. And then in terms of schools, schools don't really do much about this. Like, they don't really, like, say... Um, they don't really like teachers about this or they essentially they don't how do I put this they don't really care about it on the side 
um, it's just seen as an extracurricular thing to them. I know that's what I've had in my um, I've, I've had that in my experience. They've said to me, "Oh yeah, cool." When I've said, "Can we include this into our like curriculum, or can we include this like as a outside thing, like a club?" They said to me, "Oh, cool, but look, it's it's meant to be an outside thing. It's not really to do with us." Um, so I guess that's kind of what it really means to me. And then it's just the fact that with minorities as well, um, it's it's that point again, like minorities, we're the minority trying to like be heard in a majority. And like because we're we're so small, they just they crush our thoughts straight away. Like they say to us, Oh look, it, it doesn't matter. When really it really, really does matter. Um and they just I'd like to say this, like they prefer certain ethnicities over another one um, because they think that that's more understood and they can cater more to that one. But if they just listen and they just sit and like have a heart-to-heart conversation with us, they'll realise it's affecting all of us. It's not just a one-thing approach. Um, And I'll open up the floor to anybody who wants to go next. Well, thank you, Fatma, because what I want to pick up there is the fact that we've got different layers of power at play as well. So you've got the kind of the adult and student power dynamic. You've then got the male-female, the, the, the white-black, the Christianity and other cultures and other faiths. So then the intersectionality of some of your experiences means you've almost got like a triple, quadruple whammy going on there. Let me come to you, Reese, because um, Fatma mentioned your school context. I'm interested whether your curriculum's perhaps doing anything a- a- around this idea of ethics and social consciousness. So I would say that a lot of schools have the benefit of having PSHE lessons. So that's personal, personal social health care education. At our school, we call it uh, enrichment. And I think they do touch upon things, but they don't touch upon it in enough depth where it really hits people where it should hurt, I guess. Because we, for example, we we're speaking about um, COVID and the impacts that that's had. And we were also speaking about health and how your health can almost be diminished as you go along. And I said, oh, miss, what about um, race? Because that disproportionately affects um, ethnic minorities. And she said, yeah, that's really valid. That's a great valid point to put on the board. She popped it on the board. And then we had like a spider diagram with all these facts about age, where you live, different things that implicate your health and nothing about race. And I think that stood out to me as there is a massive lack of um, awareness of that as an issue that needs to be taught about in schools. And in general, social justice, I think they worry that it's too politicised. But I would argue that every day we see that on the news. We walk around um, our like around the town and stuff and we see different types of people. And how is that not politicised if you want to call race or um lgbtq plus community politicized it all is just awareness and i think it's like a it's having this worldly perspective on on the world as opposed to just worrying that it's school and we can't implement a politic political side to it because i don't think it is political Reese, brilliant answer there so so fatma you were talking about it's almost what we value and what we don't value and by putting it into the extracurricular it suggests there's not value and then Reese, you're saying that when we do touch on it it tends to be a bit and it's not we're not actually going into it deep enough to truly get uh, to understand the concepts and to become critical thinkers you know the way you nodded so vehemently when Reese was talking there let me come to you next um you know what are your thoughts about this idea of how we create a curriculum or create opportunities for social consciousness and ethics within within the school system yeah i think everything we said it really connected because neutrality is not afforded to us even in a classroom the choice to use your voice the choice to actually speak out um about something the choice to you know tell your story how you say it this is all political at the end of the day you can't say that it's not political because i in my school especially when i wanted to talk about issues um pertaining to social justice the response that i've um gotten is too political um school school you know a classroom isn't isn't the space to do this um which i think in my opinion no i think that I like social justice you know you get all these words flowing around they're all buzzwords it's not actually put into practice there's not a there's not a strategy that is put into practice because teachers um educators some educators and some teachers think that it's too politicized um and we should be focusing on other things such as like you know 
our own subjects, exams and things like that. But even, okay, if we look at exams, the exams fiasco that happened um, last year and this year, um, on exam, that is political. I think that a lot of young people um, have been joining these student-led movements because they've seen how much it affects um, their day-to-day lives in the media, in the government. Um, and so I think that there needs to be much more of an aware awareness within schools. And the way to do this is obviously creating those spaces for students to talk about this, whether that's PSHE lessons where we're taught about this by a teacher who's a transformed educator, by somebody who's already done the soul searching and who's already done the work within anti-racism themselves who are then able to educate the students um and make them comfortable enough to share their stories share their experiences um and actually work towards specific targeted solutions rather than human connection without real implementation but then real implementation has to work alongside human connection as well um so that's my point Honestly, the way you guys all phrase yourself, you put so many teachers to shame. Um, Just your articulation is fantastic. Um, Nikita, same question to you about your experience of ethics and social consciousness within your own education, or perhaps what Phoenix and Changemakers have uh, have given you an opportunity to do. Um, I'll definitely say that there's not enough um, platforms for us. And when there is, it's not advertised enough for us to get involved. And I think Changemaker was a really good place um, to... It's a really good project is where I got to meet these lovely other girls and also like to see like minded people like me. I think is really important because once we're together, um, we're definitely a force to be reckoned with. I also feel like um, I also feel like we brought up an important thing about health. And within schools, we're not taught like there's certain um, diseases and health issues that some that are more common in certain minorities, such as sickle cell and how a black person is five times more likely to die in pregnancy. An Asian person is three, three more times likely to die in pregnancy. These things need to be addressed. We need to, for instance, if that or if you have like if you have an illness or like a rash or something that could lead to something further, when you search it up, there's no pictures to show uh, what it looks like on a black person or what it looks like in um, on an Asian person. So I feel like there needs to be a lot more of these things and they definitely need to be taught, definitely need to be taught within schools. Such a pertinent comment. Your your feedback's just gone off off there, Nikita, about mentioning the kind of the health, the intersectionality of health. Um, and I know there was a documentary on recently about the number of black deaths when it comes to maternity and, and like childbearing. My final question to all of you, okay, thinking about the fact that we've got early career teachers listening, but also this footage will hopefully be shared in schools with other young people. And some of the words we used were mobilizing, galvanizing, empowering, so like increasing our sphere of influence. What's your one piece of advice to people about getting involved? Because you're all great examples of the fact that you're not sat there watching the TV shouting at it. You're out there doing the work. So what's your one bit of advice about other people becoming youth activists or social activists? And let me just go um, in the same order again. So, Reese, let me come to you first, please. Um, for, for youth activists, I would say don't be afraid. And if you feel if if you watch something and you feel something, wait, wait, and then act upon it. And that waiting time gives you the space to think, what can I do that is gonna actually cause change? Because often people see something, oh my gosh, that is so bad. I'm gonna go and do this, I'm gonna go do this, 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 and this. But that's not sustainable. And social activism has to be sustainable, it has to create change. So I would act upon how you feel, go with your gut, and for other people that I'm not sure. I think if you feel something, you have to act upon it. And that's in anything in life. If you feel something regarding activism, change it. If there's nowhere for you to go, create space for you to be. Be confident in in yourself and what you feel. And that will create change. Brilliant, Reese. Thank you. Nikita, let me come, let me come to you next. What's your thoughts on this question about galvanising and mobilising? I would definitely say... Um... You shouldn't be scared and even if you're nervous you use that as like your drive um there's many different there's many different definitions to being a leader there's uh, many different types of leaders and young leaders and i just feel like just use that nervousness as your drive to um push forward and to make a change 
Love that advice, Akita. Thank you. And Fatma, how about you? What are your thoughts about mobilising activism? I'd say the first start, like it, everything starts with that first step you take. So just do it. Like, and you might feel scared or like nervous to go for it. But the minute you do and you take that step, you will go on to a journey of a lifetime and you will love it. You won't hate it and you won't drop out. You'll just be like, I'm really glad I started this. Thank you so much. Uh, and Yimna, final, final comment from you. Yeah, I think that every young person needs to be unapologetically themselves in everything that they do. Um, come, come, come with everything, with your full, you know, your full set of values, your morals, your character, um, and always. And one thing I wanted to um, add is, well, it's gone. Um, yeah, join, join projects, join groups which are like CML, you know, where you can meet and connect and collaborate with other young people who are passionate um, about social action. And the point which I forgot, um, I've now remembered, it's activism can be done in so many different ways. You know, I love spoken word. Um, I've done, I filmed um, spoken word um, poetry um, about racism, about justice, um, about issues that I'm passionate about, but it can be done in so many ways, whether that's spoken word, whether that's writing, whether that's joining groups, whether that's um, working behind the scenes um, in advocacy work. Um, and, and always 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 educating yourself you know um it's a journey um final destination is not as important um it's about who you becoming the process so trust that process um and you'll definitely get there thank you Yimna. benny do you want to do you want to wrap up do you want to sum up an amazing I think, panel I, you know I, i'm only echoing the comments um here and on on twitter and on our different platforms when i say that listening to the four of you is truly inspirational when we think about what the future of this nation what our future of our world needs to be your voices are going to be so so important you've articulated yourselves in in the most profound way um, and for early career teachers out there who are seeing this it is absolutely invaluable to know that you can have students who are this engaged so a huge huge thank you to you all for sharing your thoughts so articulately um i almost hate to say you know that, that that it's over i could listen to you all day but hannah and i do need to wrap up now um and and get our thoughts together so thank you again and hopefully we'll be in the same space again at some point give everyone a wave ladies and could I quickly say something before we go? Um, I just wanted to say a big thank you to Hannah and Benny and the whole Diverse Ed and Sienna and Lucy from Phoenix Education for just giving us this opportunity to um, voice how we feel. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Nikita. Our pleasure. And when we get to face-to-face -face events, I'll, I'll be ringing you all up and booking you all in, I promise you. So you four can disappear. Go and join the pledges on Twitter. And Benny and I will be back in one minute to finish the event.